Welcome to a special edition of the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is April 11, 2018, and Speaker Paul Ryan has just announced that he is pulling the plug, that he is not only retiring, he's not running for re-election. Joining me, the editor-in-chief of the Weekly Standard, Stephen Hayes and John McCormick of the Weekly Standard. Um, thanks for joining me, gentlemen. Um, let's just jump right into this. So, um, Steve, are, are you surprised by the announcement that the Paul Ryan's not going to even run for re-election? I'm not, no. I think it's been um, widely expected that he would leave. There was a political Politico article in mid-December uh, by Tim Alberta, and I think he had a co-author, um, that reported that Ryan was looking looking at the exits. And then we had a, a report. I did an interview with him shortly before Christmas in which we reported the same thing. So uh, we're, we're not uh, not surprised, but um, it's disappointed given who Paul Ryan Paul Ryan yeah. what he's done I figured the- I figured he was leaving but I will admit that I was surprised because you know the the impact of this announcement today is, is relatively dramatic I mean obviously it feeds the narrative of the blue wave it it it, it certainly is not going to uh it, it's not going to embolden uh, house republicans in in their race or or change any of that particular dynamic and I will tell you that among the Wisconsin republicans that I've been talking with uh they're they're still kind of shocked um, because it really scrambles the races here. So, so John McCormick, give me a sense. Why, why now? Why do you? What, what is? People are trying to read a lot into the the timing. Your sense? Well, I think he waited until as late as he could. He didn't want to influence uh, other Republicans to head for the exits themselves. Uh, he wanted to raise as much money as he could as a sitting speaker with the possibility that he was going to uh, come back and the unlikely but real, somewhat realistic chance that he could come back as speaker. Uh, but, you know, now is a time with the June 1st deadline that they can actually get a candidate in his seat. Uh, you know, you've got a little under two months. So I think he was waiting as long as he could. But uh, as, as Steve pointed out, I mean, since December, since this article in Politico came out, he has not ruled out the possibility that he would that he would step down. You know, he always said, oh, I'm, I'm waiting with my wife, Janet, to decide uh, late in the spring. We always do that. I mean, that was a very clear sign that he was seriously considering uh, either running and then retiring or doing what he just did. OK, now you, you, you made reference to this, Steve, you know, how, that it's disappointing. So let's just, just step back a little bit, maybe 35,000 feet. You and I are old enough to remember when Paul Ryan was the future of the conservative movement. Yeah. Remember, he was the intellectual leader of the Republican Party. And I really was sitting back this morning and going, you know, just another indication that this announcement, another indication of the Trumpification of this party. This is Donald Trump's party. It is not Paul Ryan's party. And um, this, in, this, in a sense, kind of formalizes that, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's true. If you want to take a, a big step back and look at what Paul Ryan d- did uh, as a conservative movement leader, um, you know, whether it was getting entitlement reform, something that uh, taking it from something that establishment Republicans rejected and fought against, and later had to embrace almost by the sheer force of will of Paul Ryan's party, take, making, making the Republican Party take a bold stand on the most pressing domestic policy issue of the day, in my view. Uh, Paul Ryan really was an anti-establishment Republican, if you look back 2006, 2007, 2008, and the fights Which is that true. Had, yeah. yeah, the fights that he had with Republican leaders who were savaging him, sometimes to his face and in public, and sometimes behind the scenes, 
because he wanted to get serious about our growing national debt. He made it an issue that the Republicans embraced. He showed that Republicans could do it without uh, killing themselves politically, which had been the conventional wisdom uh, for decades. Uh, it was a true act of political courage and one the, the kind of which we don't see very often in Washington. Now, of course, there's no chance that Republicans are going to push on entitlement reform. Donald Trump ran in 2016 firmly opposed to entitlement reform and, in fact, echoed Democratic criticism of Paul Ryan on entitlement reform, both what it would do substantively and the political risks involved. And, of course, th their styles are as opposite as you could possibly be. I mean, I remember, yeah. uh, just to, to share a quick story, I remember uh, covering Paul Ryan back in 2012 uh, before he was picked as Mitt Romney's running mate, uh, doing a town hall in Wisconsin in his district, and he was walking people through his PowerPoint on, on debt and deficits. And his political opponents were there, and they were determined to make a stink. And they, uh, you know, started chirping at Paul Ryan, and, and a woman who was with his, his opponent at the time stood up and started berating Paul Ryan about wind farms and why the st state legislators weren't doing more to push wind. And, you know, Ryan could have said, you know, in effect, look, you're a moron. I'm not a state legislator. You're talking about this to the wrong person. And he didn't. He was very gentle. And he sort of tried to say, you know, that here's what's happening on wind. Here's how it's being handled. You know, different people are doing different things at the federal level and the state level without ever doing anything at all to embarrass this woman who came there to make a spectacle of herself and try to embarrass him. And only after she pushed a couple times did Ryan relent and say, ma'am, with all due respect, you're asking about the state legislatures. I'm your federal representative. But he did it in such a gentle way that it, it speaks to a kind of civility and seriousness and s substantive uh, way of approaching these issues that – you know, we certainly don't see in the president of the United States, um, and we really don't see much in, in a lot of our politicians running for office. And I'm not one to do the kumbaya thing and everybody has right. to like, politics is dirty. It's tough. You should have serious and messy and sometimes ugly fights. But you, we're going to miss we're going to miss somebody who handled the, the these confrontations like Paul Ryan did with the sort of class that that he brought to these debates. We we should acknowledge that that uh, this conversation that we're having we we we've all been admirers of Paul Ryan we all known him for for a long time, and so I think we did bring a different perspective to it. You know you, you 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 again you know when you think back on that moment when he was picked as Mitt Romney's running mate, and I go back to you know remembering when he was the future of the Republican Party, all of those things that he represented. I mean, honestly, they were all rejected in 2016, and they've been rejected since then. And then, the, and the style, the civility that you describe, is very much out of, uh, you know, out of style, at least among, you know, um, in 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 the in the current crop of uh, of political leaders. And then, on his main contribution, Steve, you're absolutely right, was getting the Republican Party to take budgets and debts and deficits seriously. And yet he is leaving the speakership with trillion-dollar-a-year deficits, as far as the eye can see, um, added to the national debt. And in part, that's because it turned out that Republican-based voters just weren't that into Paul Ryan's fiscal conservatism, were they? I mean, that, that, it's, it's, it's not just a personal failure. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a real reflection of the way the conservative movement looked at Paul Ryan, looked at Donald Trump, and said, yeah, we want to go with this guy.
Well, I think there, there's no denying that. I mean, obviously, Republican voters, the rank and file, they'll rally behind whatever Trump is for. Uh, but you've got to look at the same time. I mean, someone like Marco Rubio uh, embraced Paul Ryan's agenda, won in Florida by a much greater margin than Trump did. And so, I mean, the question is, over time, uh, you know, do these Trumpified candidates, do they take over? Do they fill the party ranks? Or is Trump a uh, a blip in time. I mean, I think eventually the you know the, the the numbers will catch up with us, and people will have to do some entitlement reform. The whole idea of of what Ryan was proposing is, hey, we can get ahead of this crisis. You know, remember back in 2011, hey, we can wait 10 years, you know, ease into it. People when they're fi- now 55, you know, they'll be affected. No one, no one over that'll be affected. So I don't know. I don't know how, how permanent this is, and that the idea that you know fiscal conservatism, um, you know, it certainly hasn't. Uh, they haven't had any success. Successes uh, in Congress, uh, Paul Ryan has um, realized that the you know the, the reality of governing, governing with uh, Trump as president, with people like you know Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski in the Senate, and the filibuster have prevented them from doing some things they'd probably like to. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know that we're we're in some permanent new era of uh, of, of Trumpism and populism. We certainly well, are now. We are for the next few years. But yeah, I don't know how long that the, lasts. Uh, we're we're living our politics in dog years. So who knows how fast things are going to change? And I want I want to come back to the future of Paul Ryan in a moment. But you know, Steve, I want to talk about the moment we're in right now. Um, that you know wh- why Paul Ryan decided to 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 hang it up. And and let me just run this by you. Um, obviously, I think the filing deadline in Wisconsin was the, the the key trigger, but also he had to be looking ahead at this summer and this fall and thinking about what it would mean to go through a tough, expensive reelection campaign with Donald Trump on your back. The possibility of Donald Trump triggering a constitutional crisis by firing Bob Mueller or Rosenstein or who knows he he, he might do. Um, what, what do you what was the level of frustration? that contributed to this. Why did he do it? Well, he didn't want to talk about it in his press conference. I know. Um, I know. Today. I thought it was very notable. Yeah. Um, but I think his level of frustration is very high. I mean, it, it, for all of the reasons that we've discussed, I mean, they're two totally different styles of, of politics. They come with very different priorities, whether you're talking about entitlements or trade, uh, what, what have you. Um, in in many ways, Trump and Ryan are opposites. So for Paul Ryan to be the Republicans man in the House who's working to implement the Trump agenda, holding his nose at some of Trump's personal behavior and having to criticize and condemn, distance himself from many of the, the uh, obnoxious things that Trump has said over the course of his presidency, it's a huge challenge. And there's no question that it wore on Paul Ryan from talking to people who are close to him. You know, you remember the May 2016 uh, moment where there was this question as to whether Ryan was going to endorse Donald Trump. And Trump was the the de facto Republican nominee. And Reince Priebus, who's close to to, uh, Ryan and had worked with Trump uh, on the campaign, was trying to broker this meeting and and get the two together so that Ryan would endorse. And it took Ryan a long time to get to the point where he would endorse Donald Trump. And I don't think he was ever very comfortable endorsing Donald Trump. And I think he's had to do a lot of things uh, over the course of his time in Congress that he wishes he didn't have to do. Uh, but, but I he think... Says he ha- but he says he has no regrets. And, and I mean, this is what I'm, I'm thinking through, because I, I also remember you go up to October when they were going to have that joint rally, remember, down in Racine, and Donald Trump was going to come in, then the Access Hollywood video was released. And Paul Ryan took the really remarkable step 
of disinviting the nominee of his right. own party from coming and had drawn that line so many times. But after the election, and again, he never thought I'm saying he Trump wouldn't appear with elected. Him. Yeah, he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. He wasn't going to you know, defend him anymore. Uh, the 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 chief, you know, basically became the wingman in Congress for the last year and a half. Uh, you, you don't think that at some point he's going to look back and say, geez, I wish I hadn't uh, I hadn't done that or I wish I didn't have to do that. Well, which Trump policies? I mean, in a sense, I mean, as, as Steve has reported, Trump has basically outsourced policy to Ryan in large part because Trump doesn't really understand policy. I mean, the, the tax reform bill was the kind of tax reform plan any Republican president would assign. The the GOP re- failed repeal and replace efforts are probably what would have people would have come up with. I mean, if you had a really smart, dedicated president and presidential leadership there, could have made the difference. But again, this was pretty run-of-the-mill stuff. Where, where Ryan has really failed, I guess, is that, you know, he, I mean, he, he hasn't stood up. Republicans haven't stood up on something like trade. Uh, this is really the first time that we've seen a, in a policy sense, uh, you know, the, the president really go off in a populist direction and Congress uh, hasn't asserted its constitutional authority. That would be obviously, you know, would take Democrats and Republicans, but they have the power uh, to stop them. And instead, we're, we're hearing them, you know, trying to work behind the scenes to get carve outs and don't really go through with this, uh, rather than simply just passing a law saying, hey, it's it's our duty, it's our authority, you can't raise tariffs by yourself. Yeah. Okay. Looking looking ahead, let's look a uh, short term and long term. What happens for Paul? What happens to Paul Ryan right now? What what, what does he do? Short term, um, we, we we've seen this magical quality among Republicans who announce that they're not running for re-election. Uh, Trey Gowdy suddenly becomes very critical of the administration, becomes quite independent. Uh, is there any reason to think that Paul Ryan will now will well? First of all, do you think he will remain as Speaker between now and November? Either one of you guys. He, he has said that he intends to do that, okay. so, so I expect. I mean, you've, you've had comments from Mark Meadows uh, this morning, the House Freedom Caucus chair, suggesting that it would be tough for Ryan to stay as Speaker of the House. I suppose, uh, you know, they could make it even tougher. But uh, as John pointed out on Fox this morning, the Republican legislative agenda is dead. I mean, there's really yeah. nothing no. that they're going to do. So, um, you know, if, if they think that having uh, a replacement House Speaker, who I think is a, a dead man or dead woman walking because Republicans are unlikely to keep the majority in the House uh, after the 2018 elections, having somebody like that have the title of House Speaker so that he can go out and raise money, I suppose that's a possibility that could build pressure on Ryan to to leave sooner rather than later. But I guess I expect that he'll he'll serve out. OK, his- well, let me, let me make a more pointed question here. Let's say that I do want to get to this this topic. If if Donald Trump pulls the trigger, goes for the his own nuclear option, fires Rod Rosenstein, fires uh, Bob Mueller, will a lame duck speaker Paul Ryan's response be different than a Paul Ryan who is le- you know running and leading the House majority into the elections? Will we see a more independent, outspoken Paul Ryan in that circumstance? And again. It's uh, it's it's speculative, Steve. Yeah, I I think actually um, I think he would speak out if if Trump moved to to fire um, Bob Mueller, removed a number of the people involved uh, in or uh, running the investigation. But I think, and and there are reasons to to doubt this, but I think he would have done that even if he had remained as Speaker of the House. I think that was a, a real. Red line for Paul Ryan. He had spoken up in favor of Mueller before. You can point to 
his not sort of um, tamping down efforts from the House Intelligence Committee as evidence that he might not have uh, had the guts to go and actually mm-hmm. front Trump on this stuff. But I think it would have been. I think it's a, it, it really is a, a rule of law question. I, I would expect that, that Ryan would have uh, – would have done the right thing. Well, so my, John McCormick, my, now, now, now that he has, now that he has to come up with an adult job, what do you think Paul Ryan is going to do a longer term? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, on Steve's point, you know, my uh, just on that last issue, sure. um, my ears perked up uh, today during the press conference when Paul Ryan was asked and he, about the whole Mueller situation. He said, "My position hasn't changed. I have no reason to believe this is going to happen." But he also said the sentence, "We have the rule of law here," and to mm-hmm. me, that was a pretty clear indication that to. Do, to fire Mueller would be to violate the rule of law and require a serious response. So I don't know if that's – I haven't followed every single word he said about that. But that I thought that was significant. Um, but but is, as, that a, is that a sufficient red line? Um, we know that uh, Bill Crystal is heading up a group that launched some ads today that uh, were, were scheduled to run on Fox and Friends. I don't know. Did you see whether they actually ran or not? Basically stand up uh, back, uh, back Mueller – uh, an organization called Republicans for the, the Rule of Law, and they're saying, look, if you really want this to, uh, if you don't want this to happen, you need Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan to be really, really definitive, uh, telling the president not to do it. Has, has Have they done that yet, do you think, Steve? Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I don't, I, the Republican Party is clearly divided on this question of Mueller. I mean, you have some people both in the House, uh, primarily in the House, some in the Senate, who uh, are attacking Mueller, are attacking the investigation, or amplifying the charges that, that Trump and his team are making. But you've had a, a good number of people who have not chosen that route and who have said, look, this would be suicidal. You have, and, and including people who have been uh, awfully friendly to, to Donald Trump or critical of the DOJ, like uh, Charles Grassley, Senator Charles Grassley mm-hmm. from Iowa, and Lindsey Graham from South Carolina, uh, have both said that is just too far. You can't do it. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if it comes to that. I mean, it's certainly, for all the people who are saying, you know, assuring us, all of Trump allies who are assuring us time and time again that he would never even consider firing Bob Mueller, that's crazy. We now have new reporting from the New York Times yesterday that, that Trump was, in fact, trying to fire Bob Mueller and has done so on more than one occasion. Um, so I think take any assurances you're getting from from Trump world that that's not going to happen or his, his uh, supporters in Congress that that's not going to happen with uh, not just a grain of salt, but, may, but maybe a, a salt truck full of salt. Yeah, John, um, we'll get back to Ryan in a moment, but you really got the sense that things changed this week with the with the raid on Michael Cohen's law office. And one of the scariest things in the world, of course, is to have your own office raided. It's even scarier if you have your lawyer's office raided. And the president has gone out of his way to say that, well, that's kind of a game changer. Uh, uh, you know, and, and I just wonder, you know, who is telling him don't do this, do you know, that this actually wouldn't shut down the investigation. It, it would it would go on. Um, but Clearly, all of his instincts, President Trump's instincts, that as far as we can tell, are telling him he's got to shut down this investigation. Yeah, what I do mean, you think he's going to do? Uh, I have no idea. I'm not going to. I'm not going to guess. But I do think it's a huge development. I'm not a lawyer, but uh, I mean, the fact that this is now not simply in the hands of Robert Mueller, and there would have had to have been a, a very high threshold uh, to have been met to go after uh, the communications between a lawyer and his client. So I don't know where this is going to end up, but I do think it's uh, it's a huge development. And if I could bring us back to Paul Ryan, yeah. I'd actually, I actually I want to know, Charlie, what do you think? Um, you know, just looking back on his career, what do you think he should have done? You know, back in May. Yeah. June 2016, he hems and haws about whether he's going to support 
Donald Trump, obviously, as a as a staunch uh, Trump critic yourself, what what should even Steve stayed and and have thought? Hey, I'm going to try and make the best of a bad situation, nudge things in the direction I can as speaker, or 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 what? What was what do you think he should have done at that point? You know, that's a fascinating question because he, he didn't have very many good cards to deal with. And I remember actually talking to him about this, and and he, and he said, look, if I was a backbencher, I would feel free to you know just you know say what I think about uh, Donald Trump's character and his behavior and and. Uh, uh, Etc. Et but I, but I have the responsibility of you know, being speaker. I have responsibility to the majority and to get this agenda signed into law. And I actually understood that. I understand that that was that was the bargain. But I think the and and I'm and I was relatively comfortable with the way that he was handling Donald Trump, which is that you support him when you agree with him, but you oppose him and you're critical when he crosses the line. Um, he obviously made a different calculation when we were all shocked and Donald Trump was elected president. And but I don't know. I, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a certain point, you're left with very, very few options. I wish, however, that you could you could say that that there is a strong, powerful alternative voice in conservatism right now that that is a counterpoint to Trumpism. Uh, you know, Frontline, PBS Frontline. I'd recommend you guys watch it. Really interesting. Uh, show on the, on the Trump takeover, and and you know that the the possibility that at one point that was going to be Jeff Flake. Well, it was obviously never going to be Jeff Flake. You know, Paul Ryan could have been a counterpoint. Maybe he can be in the future. And I guess I want to ask you this, Steve. So, what is Paul Ryan going to do? I'm guessing that he's not going to become a lobbyist. I don't see him running for office in the near term. Does he end up, you know, running a think tank, uh, going back trying to figure out? What is the future of, of conservatism? What does the Republican Party really stand for? Where does it go? What do you think he does? You know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Nobody knows exactly. Um, there's been there's some talk of, of him potentially taking over as president of the American Enterprise Institute since its president, current president, Arthur Brooks, announced that he'd be stepping down. Um, I think the, the potential uh, hiccup in, in that process is that Ryan really does want to live in Wisconsin, as I understand it. Um, and when he says that he wants to spend time with his uh, kids, he really does want to spend time with his wife and his kids. You um, could do that job from here. People who who say that. Uh, no, I don't think I don't think um, folks at AEI would want it being done remotely. Uh, I think they want somebody in, um, mm -hmm. in D.C. So I, I think from from my understanding, and Ryan's been having these discussions uh, over the past several weeks, and just nobody knew. And and you know, as as John said, Politico and and the Weekly Standard had reported that he was likely on his way out. Um, we just didn't know the timing. The, I, I think in the discussions that he's had with people, from my understanding, he, he's been looking at you know doing something where he can make money, something in finance, probably maybe a hedge fund, something like that. Uh, also having some role at a, at a think tank, AEI would would make sense if he were to to do something like that, and then also continue the sort of quiet campaign he has. Um, wage to bring market-oriented solutions to urban areas. Uh, I think something that's mattered to him for a long time, but that he became more and more passionate about as he was working on it uh, over the last, uh, what now, six, six, seven years. Does he have a future in elective politics? I, I Probably not. I, he's never been somebody who's been 
excited by uh, elected politics. You know, I mean, he was he, people were pushing him to run for president in 2012, and he didn't want to do it. He sort of accepted Romney's thing, I think, as much out of obligation and duty as he did because he had some burning desire to be the vice president of the United States. He resisted entreaties for him to run in 2016. Um, I think he, he looked at politics as a means to an end, and the end was affecting policy. Um, so I suppose if we get to a point where um, the Republican Party is headed in a, in a different direction or there's, um, you know, there's a, I mean, it's never, there's never going to be a post Trump world that looks anything like what we had seen before. Right. I think if Ryan, it's possible that if he saw an opening to bring it back to the issues that he cares most about or drive uh, serious discussion about entitlement reform, he could consider again. But if I were, if you asked me today, if, if I were putting money on it, I would, I would say he's done with, with. Well, like so John McCormick, who, who takes his spot? Who, who, <laughs> here's a loaded question. Who's the next speaker of the House of Representatives? Uh, Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, and just, I, didn't Charlie, want, I didn't want to hear that, but that's the answer. I think. You know, Charlie, I mean, you make a great point there about, you know, that the need for someone to be, you know, a voice, a counterweight to Trumpism as a conservative. And, and while Ryan really hasn't done that because of, uh, you know, the need to, uh, the, the responsibilities to the party and keeping the caucus together. I, I, I think that before really he took on these duties, I mean, even going back to Romney, being Romney's VP, before that point, I thought Ryan was probably the best or one of the two best political communicators in the country. You know, he'd take these so. very, very complex issues, he'd break them down, he wouldn't dumb them down, and he'd explain them. He'd do it on MSNBC, he'd do it in these town halls, and it was really the moment when he became Romney's VP. You know, he was in Iowa or Ohio, and he's all of a sudden reading off of a scripted speech about, well, China cheats, and we're going to stop China from cheating. And I, I don't necessarily know his, his full beliefs on that. I'm sure he thinks that intellectual property and, and, and China was cheating in, in certain ways. But he, he lost his ability as a communicator, as being one of the best communicators, when he took on these burdens or the responsibility of being a team player for Romney and then for the Republican caucus. So does he get back to that? Does he, does he become... Um, you know, the, the old Paul Ryan again? I don't know, but I think that'd be a great thing if he did. I, 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 I think that's likely. I mean, you know, that, that, that's, that's who he is. I think he'll find himself liberated. So, Steve Hayes, you're the editor-in-chief. Looking back, historically, April 11th, 2018. Does this represent a, uh, an inflection point in the trajectory of the Republican Party? I mean, I think rather than this being an inflection point, we've seen the inflection point. We saw it probably November 8th, 2016. Maybe you could point back to when Donald Trump became the de facto nominee of the Republican Party. I would point to that as the inflection point. Um, and this is, uh, as, as you said at the outset uh, of our discussion, this is more yet another confirmation that it's Donald Trump's party. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me in a special edition of the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we'll do this all over again.